Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and thank you for being here. Really, thank you. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and hopefully will leave you truly inspired as well. My goal on this show is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives. Through their story, hopefully get inspired myself and perhaps inspire you too. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, like I said the other week, this show is free. I'm going to try and make it always be free, but you know... You make other people pay you per hour to do stuff for them, and you're giving me your hour for free. So I should be thanking you very, very much for that. I really appreciate it. If you're new to the show, welcome. Welcome. Please check out some other episodes. There's plenty. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. If you hear something today that does resonate with you, please, I would ask that you tweet out a link to the show or I pop up a Facebook post about the show, osherginsberg.com. That's how I get the word out. It's the only marketing I do, so thank you. And also, thank you very much to everybody that rated and comment in iTunes this week. That's very, very helpful for me as well. If you want to find me on the internet, pretty easy. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, osherginsberg.com. Go there, subscribe to the email list, and the email list that the email that that is generated from, I will talk to you back and forth on. So if you want to email me, that's the email address. You guys already just jump on the subscribing list, the mailing list, and I'll get you there. I'm also on Twitter. I told you last week that um, I accidentally blocked a few people. 19,000 people. So if you do find yourself blocked from me on Twitter, there's a link on my Twitter profile that if you click, it'll uh, take you to a Google form. It'll sort you out. So that'd be ace. My guest today, a really interesting cat, Australian music industry legend, Brian Taranto, BT. Uh, for a long time, he was the coolest man I ever met because uh, he owned a cafe that made vegan tacos, but more about him in a moment. How was your week? How was your week? Are you okay? How was everything? Are you all right? Do you need a hand? Is everything going to be okay? Um, I had a real interesting week. I managed to get up to Brisbane for Dad's 70th birthday, which was pretty uh, pretty great. I saw my brothers, whom I love very much, and uh, got some good uncle work in, which was good. 
you know, that was fun. Um, my big brother, legend. is So my dad, interesting story about my dad. My dad was the first refugee child born after the beaches were stormed at Normandy on D-Day. And he was... My grandmother uh, got a letter from Dwight Eisenhower, the, at the time, I do believe, the commander of the US forces, uh, when later on to be president, um, saying something along the lines of, you know, your, your, your son will never know war like he's known. He'll be back in Prague before you know it, because they were in Prague. Uh, they had to escape from Prague. Um, and yeah, so that was my dad, and he kind of lived his whole life with that, like the fact that the only thing, reason he's alive is because these thousands and thousands of men gave their lives that day uh, on, on the beach. So it was pretty great for everybody. Really enjoyed it. But my big brother, the legend, because dad was born on D-Day, um, he brought little plastic paratroopers with little plastic uh, parachutes, which we threw around the restaurant. <laughs> so well behaved. Had an interesting ride on my bike this week uh, with a new mate, Simon Brown. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a pro triathlete. He's also a, got a pro strength mustache, which is pretty great. And here's the thing. I posted a couple of photos of us having a ride you know, online. And there was a few comments on those photos that made me think a bit. Now, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't feed the trolls. I'm not into that. I really try. However, however, the way that Australian men apparently show each other love by tearing strips off each other's achievements, yeah, I'm kind of over that. We could probably do without it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, for example, if we rode 50 kilometers and said on Instagram, hey, we rode 50 kilometers, any other country that'd say, hey, good for you. But here it's like two weeks to do 100 kilometers, eh? Not strong enough, are you? Like, really? I mean, I don't know what happened in your day that was so bad that you got to try to squish me down to make yourself feel better. But really, man, I hope you get past it. As I've said before on this show, there's an enormous freedom and joy. There is enormous freedom and joy waiting for you by simply shifting the emphasis away from good on you to good on you. Just try it this week. Every time you feel like going, oh, yeah, good on you, just say, wow, good on you. Try and actually feel it and see what it does for your insides. You'd be surprised. You might be surprised or not. I'm not you. Um, let me tell you about my guest. <laughs> my guest is pretty amazing this week. If you've ever bought a T-shirt at an Australian concert, chances are pretty high that in a roundabout way, you bought it from BT. Brian Taranto, BT, is one of the legends of the Australian music industry. He's a man who's worked his way up to owning half the company that he started sweeping the floors in, all right? Now, what started as a, just, uh, well, not just a, but a very successful t-shirt business has grown to publishing, artwork, promoting, and all kinds of other rock and roll experiments. Some of them work, some of them don't, and he goes into both scenarios, which is really pretty cool of him. No matter what business you're in, BT's motto, I think, personally, is one that'll drive you from this day on. The way he lives his life, he says this, if someone's going to do it, it might as well be me. And I love that. You can follow him and his company on Twitter at The Love Police, all one word. This chat, no matter what business you're in, is full of great advice, some real interesting tales of success, some tales of failure, and some tales of tasty tacos on a Tuesday. Enjoy a sit down. Brian Toronto, BT. Ladies and gentlemen, the other mayor of Bondi Beach, Brian Taranto, BT. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, evening, morning. But I want to start with this. If you could just estimate how many people right now are walking around with a T-shirt that you've sold them in Australia? Well, I don't sell them all personally these days, but... Since 85 when you started? Since 85, there would be... Three and a half million, <laughs> maybe more. <laughs> you know, be over two, two to three million probably over there. That is 
remarkable. That is truly, truly remarkable. And because this is a large part of what I wanted to talk to you about today is that you saw this, you started working with Australian tour merchandise? Yeah, I started with them in 1985. How old were you? I was 18. I was fresh out of um, HSC year 12 and uh, had no idea what I was going to do. And I met a guy on a beach and we started to talk music and he said, why don't you come work for me? Sweep the floors. And uh, he had just started the company Australian Tour Merchandising. So you met a bloke on a beach, you started talking about beach. music. He said, come work for me. You're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, and that's it. And and then uh, I swept the floors for a week and um, then I went on the road with a guy called Jimmy Barnes who had um, been a, a childhood idol of mine and I was a massive Cold Chisel fan. And, so this uh, is 85? 85. This is what, the Barnstorming Tour? It was the the one after barnstorming, the barnstorming set to sweat. Right. Um, it was the one after that. And, uh, you know, I'd been three months earlier, I'd been a, a paid punter in the front row of a Jimmy Barnes show. And I'm, I'm from the outer suburbs of Melbourne. And, you know, no one in my family circle anything has anything to do with music. And... I didn't even know there was a music industry. Didn't even dream of, didn't even dream of being in it. Didn't even know it existed. So, but was a big music fan, and uh, you know, I just right place, right time, went in there, and I actually now own half that company. Ah! <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> a, a lot of people say right place, right time, but they're too humble to say right place, right time, and I was the right person because yeah, if you weren't I'm the right, right person, person, they would have invited yeah, you to go yeah, on tour. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I remember going on tour when I was fresh out of high school and I remember my eyeballs just popping out of my skull at some of the things that I saw. What was it like for you? Yeah, it was just – I was just excited and working, you know. I was just – you know, I've achieved a lot because I do – I deliver what I say I'm going to do and, and I'm from a very hardworking family and – um I was employed to go out there and sell merchandise and we were selling a lot of merchandise and I was 18 years old and learning to count money and sell merchandise and deal with rock stars and asshole crew and all this stuff and, uh, you know, I was just focused on the job. I don't know that I – it took me years to get backstage to, to, to kind of have the courage or to be involved enough to go backstage and um, be part of the gang. I mean, I'm – I started with merchandise in 85. You know, I call my business the rock and roll hot dog seller. I mean, we, you know, we were, no one gave a shit about the merchandise guy for a long time. I mean, I'd like to think I have something, I have helped the Australian merchandising business by actually making that part of the, the, the game. I mean, for years, you know. I got no respect from anyone. Eventually, people got to know me and my personality was enough to, to, to get a friendship with promoters or road crew or artists. But, you know, I was the lowly fucking T-shirt guy for many, many, many years. And, yeah, it took years for me. I mean, I swan into any backstage dressing room these days with the balls of giants and, you know, but it took me many years to get that up, that courage together. <laughs> it's... um. It's interesting that, that that was the way they looked at you then because this is also a time when they were selling actual physical units that couldn't be digitally duplicated. So yeah. there was a gigantic amount of revenue coming from the from the actual album sales and then tour money was sugar on top and then merch was an extra dust yep. on the cake. Yep. Let's get into this now. So now bands don't make money from selling units if they're lucky to even part with money. People steal their music. Mm-hmm the money they make is playing live and while they're playing live, hey, would you like this $600 Stones jacket? That's it. Tickets and T-shirts, baby. So in how has it been? Because you've seen, you've seen it all. You've seen what, what's, what, what it's been like. When did you first get this, the hint that merchandising is now becoming a much part, bigger economic part of any tour and when did you start to realise, wow, I'm going to have this – is, this is changing? Well, I suppose when the deals just got – and continue to get outrageously weighted in the in the um, band's favour. I mean, absolutely, the band should get the lion's share 
but you know bands or festival merch you know they're they're getting major major points people would be quite shocked at what percentage a band will profit from merchandise and um you know while so let's just explain that so say for example i'm oh, i don't know Let's say I'm cut copy. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm not just. I'm just pl- plucking a name out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm cut copy. They sign over the right of their logo and their likeness on the t-shirt to the record company. Well, no, they they, they well cut copy would do do it themselves and be independent. Let's I'm use. Let's say pink. Pink, great. Who, who we're doing the pink merchandise at the moment and is you know many millions of dollars in sales. Um, she will cut a deal with an international merchandising company. We re- represent that merchandising company here. That merchandising company will pay a significant advance for the merchandising rights and she will recoup that on a very, very high percentage of a profit split deal. So a profit split deal is um, it, all the costs, every legitimate cost that goes into the manufacture and retailing and transport of that merchandise and sale of that merchandise is deducted from the income and then that is split between the artist and the merchandising company. But the artist, in most cases, particularly the bigger acts, you know, it's crazy high percentages. In the live field, it's crazy. And and so, you know, that's just the way of it. I mean, we... uh, um, I suppose you know, you know. I sort of noticed that when when the deals were getting crazy, and you know, I still don't think record companies have totally picked up on that they could be more uh, in bed with a merch company. I mean, all the labels have a merch company now. Some some do it okay. I mean, Bravado is the biggest merch company in the world. They're owned by Universal, so I guess they, in in one respect, they have it totally together. Um, do they work hand in hand as much as they could? In this country, I think there's a bit more they can do, you know. But um, yeah, that's that's. I guess that's what we. Sort that's of that's really interesting. So, because uh, I remember when I used to tour, if we sold any t-shirts, that was like, you know, it was over and above the money that the the venue was giving us, and it was like, this is like free money, <laughs> and we may or may not have participated in some shady accounting practices when it came to count of t-shirt versus how many we sold, because it was just cash in a ziploc bag, Brian. Yes, that's yes, all, yes, that's yes. All it was. Yes. You know, it became it became petrol money quite quickly or, yeah. or beer money or, or or whatever. But you know, the bigger the tour, obviously, that's a that's a and people are paying with this before I should say before square cards and before point of sale ATMs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's an enormous amount of cash to be sitting around in front of a house in a pub with a thousand something drunken punters. Yeah, I've, I've never been concerned with cash. I mean, I've literally walked through King's Cross with a million dollars in my shitty old backpack and and gone into my local branch who know me and say, you know, can, let's go out the back and count this one. And uh, I think there's a skill to not being fussed about cash. I've handled many, many, many millions of dollars in my life. And, uh, you know, it's just cash. If you don't think about it too much, it's all right. And wow. it's not a – yeah, I'm very fortunate. And I, and I instill that in my staff to just be absolutely aware of where everything is. But – there's no need to freak out about it. You know, right. if you really, if you, you know, what's that thing about locks are only there to keep the, uh, the, the what? The honest people out. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like if you're going to rip a T-shirt guy off or the box office or the bar at a gig or whatever, you can do it right. somehow, I'm sure. So but- I, I always used to instill when I was on Channel V when I was talking about, you know, international bands, certainly when the Australian dollar was quite bad, you know, when, people were touring i'm like if you're going to go see that band make sure you buy their t-shirt because that's where they'll make the money is that still true yeah yeah i think so i mean i tell every band that i work with or every manager to and every festival merchandising income on their end should be seen as a bonus it's like if you're you know if you're starting a festival your festival should should make money on your ticket sales and maybe some bar money and whatever Merchandise should always be seen as a bonus because it can go wrong. It cannot sell, you know, just like your tickets don't sell or your bar doesn't work or whatever. So you shouldn't bank on it. And, you know, everyone's a fucking expert when it comes to merchandise, of course, and uh, 
But, you know, if you listen to me, I'll probably get it right, you know, 95% of the time. Where were you in 97? Because there was a lot of people walking around Cameron Chapel Hill in Feebles Junkie Long Sleeves. Right, there you go. <laughs> My old band. <laughs> right. Really good for mowing the lawn because they kept the sun off, which was... Uh, well, which people, well, 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 to that point, you know, people get very excited about merchandise. Newer bands or newer managers, they know everything. So... Hey, they're not going to listen to what I, you know, my 30 years of experience and telling them what to do. So they'll go out and they'll think, oh, we need a thousand shirts. Well, maybe just print a hundred and you can get another hundred the next week if you need them. And, you know, no one's going to die if you don't have shirts for half the show or something like that, you know. And, and still today, people, you know, everyone's got such strong opinions. Everyone knows better, but. I try to wear them down. I, there's so much more to you than T-shirts, but I do want to, and we will get to most of that, but I just kind of want to wrap up the T-shirt and merch conversation mm -hmm. a little bit. I noticed in the second season of Idol, we had a guy called Lee Harding. Purple hair, nose ring, tongue piercing, Misfits shirt. Mm -hmm. And he walks into rehearsal. I'm like, man, that's a great Misfits shirt. Who are they? Right, there you go. It's like the Ram ones. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you realize people are starting to wear logo shirts of bands that they are? Because when I grew up, if I wore a T-shirt of a band, it meant I knew their lyrics yeah, backwards and this was my identified. This is me. I am an Iron Maiden fan. You will get out of my way. Yeah. When did you see that start to change? Well, I, th I thought it happened with the Strokes when Fab started wearing the Stones 81 tour shirt. Um, but I since have seen some footage of of uh, Tom York early in their career wearing an old shirt. I mean, I think about Gomez. They wore Ian used to wear a Frampton Comes Alive. It's when all the kind of when retro rock shirts were available on a, on this new thing eBay or in junk stores for oh, two bucks. Right. I think that's where it started and then, you know, the strokes were very you – know, if you, if you, I reckon you could track Coke T-shirts and Stones T-shirts sale to Fabrizio wearing, wearing those shirts <laughs> whenever that was, 2001 or whatever yeah. it was. So, um, yeah, I think around that time it kind of happened and, right. and then it just got to this thing where like, oh, that's cool, they're wearing an st old Stone shirt, let's put some Stone shirts out or let's do the Ramones or this, yeah. that and the other. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's just, you know, it's kind of, I mean, that, that local store here, Cotton On, I know Bravado, I've just done a deal for, you know, Guns N' Roses and uh, the Stones and everyone's in there. And the logo is as a, just as just a piece of fashion. It's got nothing it's to just do a with it. Yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, there's a part of me that... that hates that part of me that just totally loves that i mean they're wearing a stone's tongue they're not wearing some stupid i don't know some stupid slogan or some yeah. funny picture stone's tongue maybe i could get that hot young girl and fucking go and you know play a goat's head soup and turn her on to a whole new world maybe you know maybe not they go the rolling who i don't know but, <laughs> you know um because i i recall when ebay started doing that and i uh I lied. Two final T-shirt questions. And mine is a Aussie Osborne tribute T-shirt featuring Aussie lifting up Randy Rose. Another one. Another with one. one leg. Uh -huh. And Randy's on the V, the polka dot V. Just, it's got so many holes in it. Yep. I daren't wash it. I can wear it if I don't do anything that involves me rubbing up against anyone. Mm -hmm. But it's like the most precious T-shirt mm -hmm. that I own. What is yours? A man, you must have 50 million. What's the most precious well, T-shirt? I'm, I'm a giant Neil Young fan. And uh, I reckon I might have the biggest collection in the world of Neil Young shirts. I don't know if there is a competition going. There is now. But I've got a lot. You know, I'm not, I, I wouldn't have a hundred. I might have, I might have 60. But I reckon I know every T-shirt he's ever done. So I'm only missing a few. My favourite, therefore, is a uh, 1976 original 1976 tour T-shirt that has like a three-colour print on it. And the, on that tour there was two versions of the T-shirt done, one that was full colour and one that was um, just the one-colour print. I've got both, of course. But the full-colour one I got... And I won on an auction and, and, and it was pretty much unworn. And there's a lot of fakes out there these days, but I know T-shirts and I know it's absolutely authentic. 
And uh, that's that'd be my fave. When you does know? it get worn? Uh, I wore it to. I've worn it twice. I wore it to a Wilco show once to just brag. And uh, <laughs> did I wear? It? I might have worn. I know. Did I wear it? Yeah, I might have wore it to a Neil show. Maybe. Maybe not. No, maybe I didn't. I've worn it twice. Awesome. And I, and I, well, that's the difference with these collection of any old shirts I buy. I will wear them. Uh-huh. That one I just little too precious, but bulk of them I wear them everywhere, and wear because I think they just get better and better as you wear them. They do. So, and I've got so many that I'm not going to wear them out. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and a final t-shirt question. Uh, we might get back to it, but we'll leave t-shirts alone for a second here. Why? Oh, it's a two-parter. <laughs> what are your thoughts on people selling knockoff shirts outside the show, and why are they always Cockney? Why are they always? Why are they always like British guys? Well, okay. The, um, well, they're all generally from Manchester. The Manchester bootleggers run the bootlegging scene around the world. If you've ever been to a show in Manchester, you generally, you'll, you'll try to get out at the end of the night out of the venue, but you'll have to step over the bootleggers who are literally on the fucking front step of the venue. It's quite extraordinary. With a black garbage bag. Who wants a tour T-shirt? All that, all that. And, and so what they generally do is sell the tickets on the way in and the T-shirts on the way out. Wow. And they're professional bootleggers and they know what they're doing and and that's that's just the UK to Australia version. There's a whole other scene in the US that does it right. as well. And um and obviously obviously you you talked about the amount of money that's at stake with yep. official merchandise. Have you ever had run-ins with these guys? Have you ever like- uh, I've you know, I've had I used to give a shit a lot more about it when Love Police was starting up. I'd used to go and, you know, pour a Coke can on their shirts or stand on their shirts or go and pick them up and throw them into the crowd. And, you know, after a few times that people would say, I fucking know where you live in Bondi, mate. And when they started dropping the suburb as well, it was like, might sort of take it easy on this for a little while. And uh, But the reality is with, with, with that stuff is, I'm not going to, you know, it's 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 generally on sale outside the venue after they've left all my booths. Mm. So they're not going to buy my product anyway. Yeah. Of course, the other side of it is that the, the absolute majority of them are just absolute crap designs. If they put five minutes thought into it, they could be, I don't think that's, still be selling a lot more, but I would buy one. I go out there on the bands that I love hoping that they've done a good one because I think, it, you know, that's cool. There's only they, – they wouldn't – they'd sell nowhere near as many as me. So there might only be 10 dudes walking around in Sydney wearing that excellent Bob Dylan bootleg shirt. But generally they're absolute garbage. I hear they're great in Italy and Mexico. Right. But here it's just – This know, probably comes out of the same factory over there. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. My final – okay, so my favourite bootleg T-shirt story, then we'll leave T-shirts alone for a little bit. Um, I was in New York, September 11, 2001. September 12, there were people standing on the side of the road holding up white T-shirts with burning twin towers that said I was there. Love it. Absolutely love it. I mean, that, that is my crea- – if, if merchandising was an art and I was a true artist, that is what I would love to do. The best shirt that I never printed – Many years ago, a whale made its way up the Thames River. Straight away, I designed a T-shirt with cute whale and London underneath. It's still the best design I've ever done. Never printed it. Sent it to my partners in the UK and said, print this, print this. Oh, that's really funny. They didn't quite get the thing. I would love to be reactionary with merchandise. And it, and it happens. I don't know if you'd sell many, but as an art statement, I'd love to do I that have stuff. I um, a Los Angeles Michael, uh, Michael Jackson's death uh, celebrations <laughs> t-shirt it's like 15 bucks it's yeah. so, so bodgy it looks like it was done on like i don't know ms paint it's yeah terrible terrible yeah. so you're you're running this remarkable you're working for australian tour merchandising you're you at what point did you go at what point did love police enter your mind at what point did this collective of people sort of come together as a now we're making enough money to to pay our rent off this thing at what point did that happen uh, well, I worked for Australian Tour Merchandise for eight years and then I went on Australia's biggest um, tour at the time, the Jesus Christ Superstar Tour. I would have bought one of your T-shirts. 93 shows I believe we did and, and 
And I tell you, as I'm sitting without lying to you, I saw the light on that tour in a hotel room at the Brisbane Park Royal. I literally saw the fucking light and decided that I was going to become a writer and leave the business and uh, do it. So I moved to Nashville, left soon after, moved to Nashville, spent a year um, teaching myself guitar and was going to become a songwriter and uh, never quite got around to it and uh, had a good time, made some great friends and still have a great connection with Nashville now. Um, and then I just came back to Australia and landed in Sydney and just kept working out of getting asked to go on tours to do merchandise and did some work for Frontier and whatever. And then I did, um, I was just noticing this scene happening and we picked up, uh, some, I did the big day out. Somebody employed me to do the big day out for them in 95 or something. And, uh, I met all that gang. And they said, where have you been? You're the guy we want to work with. And then, you know, soon after this band, UMI, put this record out, hourly, daily, they had the big tour and uh, I got their merchandise and just started doing all those things. Powderfinger came along, Big Day Out, Splendour in the Grove, all these, it all came, everything comes from the Big Day Out and UMI in the, in the mid-90s, really, you know. And, and um, is that a case of you, again, just being the right guy in the right place at the right time? Like they needed someone and you had all this experience? Without a doubt. And, and, and you know, there, was, uh, there wasn't competition. There still really isn't competition now. I mean, it's hard to compete. It's, it couldn't sort of, yeah, it's hard to compete. So um, it just started then. We just grew it, you know, and... Uh, it was me and then I ran into this old mate of mine who'd since become a graphic designer. He See, went on. That's Paul. This James Balassini James. who's desi- designed the Big Day Out for the last 17 years mm. and, uh, you know, loads of UMI stuff, the Isle of Wight, Strokes, all the blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we just, um, we just grew and we just, I sort of had this motto then, you know, if someone's going to do it, might as well be me and... Um, and these things just, you know, you just do a good job. As I said earlier, you know, you, you say you're going to do something, you do it. You know, be shocked how often people don't deliver what they say they're going to do. And I find it quite easy to do that stuff. So we just kept delivering and then meet people and had international relationships and it all just comes. It all, it, it all just came by doing our pretty much our best and hanging out at the right places sometimes and, and those sort of things, you know. And what? What? And, and this is what the company that became Love Police—the two of you, you and James. Uh, well, Love Police was me and my my ex-wife. She, truth be known, she kind of started. We, she she funded the original company because she was working as a as a film editor and just making truckloads of money. And so she supported it early on. But then, you know, that fell apart a number of years later. But uh, you know, we were standing on our own feet really quickly. So at what point? And this is before internet too, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you'd meet someone and, oh, I like that guy. And you might get a phone number or, you know, and there's, remember there's not a lot of competition. So you just. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's not that many people around to compete I've seen with. that guy at gigs. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's all he does. We end up okay. at that party together. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great guy. So <laughs> at what point did Love Police become, when did you first decide Love did you go, we could do more than T-shirts? Yeah, I um, had been in love with the music of this guy, Tony Joe White, who's an old blues man. And I, uh, 
It was 1997 and I'd been, actually it was 96 we started thinking of it. And I'd just been at so many gigs, you know, by then I'd been on the road for 11 years. So I'd been to every gig, small and big. And I thought, promoted to uh, Tony Joe White, I'm going to I'm gonna get Tony Joe White to tour. I'm going to ask him to tour. I didn't know how to budget a tour out, I, but I just came up with something. And Did you know him? Didn't know him. Love you. I knew Roger Davies managed him, who you might know is the current manager of Pink, has managed Janet Jackson, managed Tina Turner at the time. That's why Tony Joe writes songs to Tina Turner, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote a lovely email on the first ever Love Police um, letterhead email, a fax, sorry, yeah. uh, with, you know, yin and yang singles in the O's in Love and Police and uh, faxed it off to Roger Davies in LA or London he might have been. Lo and behold, he came back and said, we'd love to do you. We'd love you to tour Tony Joe White. And, uh, you know, I got him on Blues Fest somehow. I don't know. I got him on Blues Fest. Didn't really know those people, but we got him there. And uh, and um, But this is what I'm interested in because you just called up, as you said, your ball's growing to the gargantuan level that they are now, but you're, obviously your waiver is bigger and bigger by this point, so you're just calling, backing yourself, going, I've got this great guy. I'm doing you a favour by get, making this connection. Even though you don't know me, here we go. Let's dial. Is that kind of where it came from? That, that's it. And, you know, by then, you know, Michael Coppel's a great mate of – I don't know if this happened, but Michael Coppel's a great mate of Roger Davies. Michael Coppel had known me by 11, for 11 years by then. I knew his wife, we knew his family, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I'd like to think a phone call may have been made. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, right. Oh, bro, he's fine. And, you know, I'm a guy, I was very lucky. The time I started in the business, there was no other merchandising guys, really. I was a kid. They all know me. Chad Giddens, they all know me as a kid from a, being a kid. We've all, mm. I've grown up so they're always, you know, they, they don't mind if I do things, you know, they, or they help me or they ask yeah. me to, to do things. So, yeah, just, um, and that's what happened with Tony Joe. He arrived, you know, I put, a, I put the tour on sale. We just kept selling out. I bought him out for 12 shows, did 25. Wow. Went to New Zealand, came back to Australia, went over to, back and supported Tina Turner. It was just insane. And, uh, you know, I, I made 30 grand for my first tour. I was hooked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, right. a, I'm a promoter now, you know. And, and so since then I've just been finding acts that I like and, and, and doing those things, really. And, but it's gone even further than that, what, what you do. It's not, it's not just tours. You, you've kind of created this really interesting umbrella to just action. As you said, you're the, kind of, you're the guy that says you're going to do something and do something, but you've created this platform to put your ideas into someone else's hands, whether it be a, a T-shirt or a tour, a book, a record, um, under this Love Police banner. That's- yeah, well, yeah I, I'm, I'm just a fan. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, and I shit ideas. You know, I've got so many ideas. It's, you know, there's not enough time in my life, the world for the ideas that I have. So, you know, I'm still a little naive to think that they're any good or whatever. It's just if someone listens to it, great. If they say yes, unreal. You know, if they didn't work out, I've got 100 more that I'm going to do. So... You just keep going for it. And, yeah, they, you know, they, they kind of work out. It's good. People, and you know, your reputation gets such that people just trust you. Uh-huh. People just like, oh, that's the guy we want to go with. You know, I often, if I'm, if I'm in doubt or whatever or, 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 you know, I often think, well, if I was going for this act to tour them or do their merchandise or this festival and it was me or my competitor, well, I'll sit, I visualise myself sitting next to my competitor and the band and the manager in front of me. If they're a band I want to work with, they're going to want to work with me. Who else is going to, who else are they going to want to, they're going to look at me, they're going to feel my vibe, they're going to hear my story and they're going to go with me unless they're arseholes. If they're arseholes, I don't want to work with them because I'll smell them out pretty quickly anyway. And, you know, that's the fortunate thing is touring... I haven't met it. We don't work with a band we don't like. Right. Simple. You know, and if we do, we, they get the cold shoulder pretty quickly. Right. So, you know, that's kind of the way we roll. So when did you go, this T-shirt thing's good, I'm a promoter, this is great, 
I'm going to open a cafe in Bondi. Well, you know, these, these opportunities come to – I've just done that Tony Joe White tour. But bear, let me be in mind. I'm going to open a cafe in Bondi with the greatest jukebox on the face <laughs> of the earth, mind you. Well, the, the, I've just done that Tony Joe White tour. I'd made that 30 grand. And uh, a friend of mine said, this American friend of mine said, I've just got the rights or I've just been working at this sort of holistic bakery cafe in Oregon. I got the recipes. We should open up a bakery cafe in Bondi. And I'm like, all right, let's do some figures and let's let's do it. And, and we did some figures and uh, our much inflated sales looked like we we're going to become fucking squillionaires within years. We could see the franchises here, there and everywhere. And I was a big coffee drinker at the time and I – you know, I could. I didn't even live in Bondi at the time. I didn't even know what was going on down here, to be honest. But uh, anyway, we set up all this. We got all this equipment. We made this amazing, this amazing bakery. I don't think you would have seen it when it first opened. But what we used to mill our own wheat, made fresh flour every day, made all this amazing bread, made amazing coffee, muffins, all this stuff. Well, beautiful Bondi, organic, awesome Bondi. They didn't want it. Oh, they <laughs> so would now, let me tell you. They would now. Very much ahead of all Taco Tuesday. Remember, this is uh, 15 years ago, my friend. Mexican's kind of hitting now. Yeah. You know, but uh, so, but, you know, it didn't work. I fell out with the partner. And so once he had gone to survive, I had to turn that, that cafe into sort of my style and it became that's how we got the jukebox you know gomez came and played on the kitchen table the we had the taco tuesday nights we had all that sort of thing go, you know became a bit more rock and roll uh down there which you know i still get stopped in the street now you know whatever it is 12 it was, years it later it was amazing bt I, I remember it was the first time and it was andrew val that invited me down my Beautiful ex Simone and I came. We lived in Piermont in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. And we came down. We went to the Bottolo up the street and got a sixer and we went and sat on a milk crate and you were making vegan tacos. <laughs> and I was like, here's, here's where all the beautiful and cool people have been hiding. And they've been drinking taco, eating tacos. And then someone told a story about, I don't know, like, was it like Norman Cook DJing on the, like, some wild shit happened. We put that a night. lot of stories out about it. Oh, that how many of them were true? <laughs> There's a couple of true ones. But it was this thing that happened in Bondi on a Tuesday night. I would wrap at 10 and that's it. Everyone go home. No, it was absolutely, it was wild. And we were, you know, the love police. You know, I'm in my late 40s now or mid-40s and, yeah, we were cool. <laughs> Dude, I wanted to be you all so much that night. We didn't realise. We realised later that we had this cool. We were cool for at least three years, love, please. And then it became a, <laughs> then it became a hardware store and it's a cafe again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's some, yeah. But, you know, from that look, I mean, that I actually lost a truckload of money in that venture. But from that venture... I met a lot of people, um, particularly music industry people, and I think I, I got perceived as a bit of an entre- more of an entrepreneur as well then. That's what you I know, thought and, you were and, the whole time. And, you know, you keep smiling when you're losing money. Everyone, you bluff your way out of anything. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny, the, the Love Police business, I, I actually worked down at that cafe for a year and a half straight, every day, seven days a week from 4 a.m. till midday, and then I went and ran Love Police. And fortunately, Love Police, you know, we were making good money then. So one business could, you know, the, the losses were kind of good. All that worked. But, um, yeah, it was an interesting time. And, and you know, I'm, I'm back involved in food now, very hands-off, but investing in it. And, and I, you know, I, have a, I, I love eating. I love food. I, I feel like I know what the good people like. So I like to, you know, put my money where my mouth is these days as well and, and do that sort of thing. Amazing. That, that, is, that is fantastic. Another one of the things that you did that really excited me is when you went into, uh, into publishing children's books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How did that feel? You've, you have created, Love Police released, in my mind, the greatest ever alphabet book known to man, <laughs> M is for Metal. M is for metal, that's right. U is for unicorns, they don't exist. Except, except in, in rock, rock songs, songs where they gallop through <laughs> mist. Just 
I bought like 15 copies and gave it to everyone. I think I've still got just one one left. What was the success of those those kids' books? And were you uh, did you expect it or did you just go, let's just do it, let's just see what happens? Well, the story with the kids' books is my dear friend Paul McNeil, who is a uh, based in Byron Bay these days. He was formerly he was formerly the original mayor of Bondi, social mayor. He had written these kids' books, or the sketch of M is for Metal, and uh, he um, had sent it to publishers all over the world. Now, Paul's a known artist and very well connected. Just got nothing from anyone. He just happened to show it to me one day and said, yeah, no one got, no one was interested and just really loved to do it one day. I said, mate, that's unreal. Let's do it. What what does a publisher do? And then we worked out, well, we just print them and sell them. And, well, i got some money. Let's print them and sell them. And that's what we did. And we all did it very naively. And I think we've sold about 15,000 books so far. We went on and did the, the punk one and the country one. And who knows, one day we might do more. But it was another situation of we just did it. You know, we probably could have done a better job of pushing it globally. I mean, Having said that, it's available in the US. It's at the cool record stores in the UK. But, you know, we didn't really know how to sell it to the world. I think it was real red. For a couple of years, it was red hot, particularly in Australia. I mean, you wouldn't be a cool parent, you know, five to ten years ago if you didn't have that book on your shelf. Without a doubt. And, and, and you know, every, every parent I knew had it. And we didn't had no idea I was involved with it. But, but you know, they... they um, as, yeah, it was a, it was a treat. Did you make MS for metal T-shirts? Yeah, some little kids ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. think I want I want the U is for unicorns. Yeah, we didn't do a U. No, I do have a giant poster of that page. You can have if you're nice, though. Oh, <laughs> I want to hang it in my. Could you? I'll, I've I'll got it, it somewhere. I'll, I'll, hang it, my, yeah. I'll hang it in my house in in Venice. <laughs> um, because but that story, that exact story, is, is is a real reason why I want to talk to you today. Is the idea in my mind that often holds me back is like I don't know how to do that, so I'm. I'll just leave it for someone that does. But that doesn't seem like it's ever stopped you. Well, not really, but I do know what I'm doing. Like I'm not going to, you know, I'd have some inkling of what to do. And these days, you know, I know someone who knows what how to do it. But, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not scared to do anything in that commercial way so long as I've got a bit of an inkling in it. You know, the food stuff, I've, you know, I love Mexican food for a long, long time. I've, I own the, Australia's first taco truck in Melbourne, you know. I'm partners with that. I just went to the guy who did the first first food van in Melbourne and just grabbed him and said, I'm BT, I'm going to call you next week and let's do a taco truck. And he said, okay. Oh and so God. now we've got two taco trucks. You know what they're called? Taco truck. I love it because <laughs> that's obviously you know that's just takes so taken over Los Angeles, especially yeah, 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 where yeah, I yeah. live down yeah. in Venice on the first Friday of every month on Abbott Kinney. It's just food yeah. trucks for days on uh, Wilshire Boulevard in the middle of the day. I'm so excited that it's happening in Australia because it allows people who maybe don't have the capital to start a restaurant of their own to go. Here's the kind of food I can make, yeah. and. Let's go one truck, two trucks, three trucks. Let, now let's get a premises rather than let's put all this capital into creating. It's like almost like a startup restaurant on wheels. It's- yeah, it's it is, it's a little different in Australia. There's a lot more that. regulations here, aren't there? There's just a lot more regulations and it's yeah. not that cheap. But the idea is, is sort of the same. It's probably more, you know, just giving a different dining experience to people. But as I said, the, my partner down there, he started it. He did the first one and he's the king of the food trucks. So... Uh, you know, it was good to get involved there early. Now I want to, now I want one of your vegan tacos. <laughs> um, sharp-eyed people would have noticed you pop up in a music video here and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Only a couple, a few, I'm not sure. A couple, I know. Like, well, let's just talk about the one that most people would probably know. There's... In, I believe it's the Mind's Eye video uh, from Wolf Mother uh-huh. where they are channeling Pink Floyd live at Pompeii uh-huh. so hard uh-huh. or channeling Beastie Boys Gratitude who are channeling Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. If you look in the background, there's a very, very rock and roll looking man in a headband <laughs> on a couch um, in the desert. How did that come about? Uh, they were just cruising by, man. I was just hanging out on the desert doing shit. No, I'd... Um 
I'd actually been, I was in LA and somehow I, I knew the guys and I hooked up with them maybe and they said, oh, we're going to shoot a clip tomorrow in the desert. And I said, they said, I think they said you should come or I probably invited myself and said, oh, I'm going to go. And uh, I got out there and the director was Emmett Malloy, who's a filmmaker dude. And I don't know, did I know him? Something happened. He said, BT, you got to be in the video. And then they saw the band. So I don't know what happened, but actually a lot of it's on the cutting room floor, but um, there's a whole sort of story went with it. With it. But, uh, yeah, it just ended up being, you know, made some celluloid fame there on the, <laughs> on the couch. So rad. <laughs> it's fun. It's good fun. Oh, look, that is, that is awesome. You've so far described when things are going besides the cafe, uh, which – didn't go so well. What's a moment in your career? Because so far people might be listening to this going, it's just all just rock and roll backstage glory for you. What's a moment in your career when you're like, man, no one really told me it'd be like this today. Like what's, if there's one story that really embodies like, shit, man, this is, <laughs> this is tough. Uh, brother, you're not going to believe it, but I don't have them. I mean, I've lost money on tours and lost money on merchandise but it's part of the game. And, you know, some tours I've lost big money. Well, not really big money, but, you know, amounts of money that you'd rather not lose. And you just got to grin and bear it. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been successful in so many things that if some you got to do some bad to get that good, that's the way it goes. And, and honestly, like, I, there's been no depressing moments. There's been no you know, in motel rooms in Utah trying to kill myself, you know, it's just, it's all been pretty good, you know. It's, you know, I miss my family when I'm away a bit, but I'm also hanging out, having a pretty good time when I'm away, so it's hard to, you know, it's... Uh, I've, I've created a lifestyle for myself, pretty selfish lifestyle really, but I've created a lifestyle and I've set up a financial structure that I'm smart enough not to fuck it up. You know, it's, um, I've been reasonably wise with money for the last decade or so and, uh, you know, prospects are good. I've got a solid company. I've got solid staff. I've got a solid family. Um, you know, I don't do any crazy moves. And I've been in the game long enough. You, you just don't get caught out by idiots and even if you do, it's not to any, you know, they're not smarter than me that they're going to swindle a million dollars from me. You know, it's just, this doesn't happen. I mean, I, you know, I, I've still got many dreams to bring forward in my career that I work on all the time. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot more to do. And maybe those things will come with that. I don't reckon they will, though. <laughs> I'll just... Uh, you know, just be wise. Just be wise and I cheeky. Think, but just by listening to you say that, you are, which is one of the things I love about you, man, you are perceiving all of the things that happen to you, even the things that maybe other people might believe is not so great. You're perceiving them all as, oh, this is all just a part of it and it'll turn around. Totally. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're in a, in a, as a concert promoter right now today, the festival game in Australia is making it very difficult for me to find a hot new act to grow with. You know, I worked with that little band, The Black Keys. They're now massive superstars. I still work with them. It's going to be hard for me to find that little band that, you know, all the festivals don't jump on and offer better futures than me. I'm going to have to have some personal relationship. So, but I'm uh, now I'm realising I've just got to accept that and look at what my niche is as a promoter and work on that. You know, and that they're the sort of, you know, I could get all depressed about that, but it's sort of like just swinging around a bit and just, you know, just look at that and be the king of that area as opposed to trying to jump into an area that everyone's in, you know. Um, and that just comes with some experience and, and passion, I reckon, you know. Is it an exciting time or a scary time to be in the music industry? Uh, I'm pretty solid and entrenched. So for me... It's almost exciting. 
it's almost exciting. I don't find much new music, to be honest, that I like. Um, I'm waiting for it. I heard that UK band, The Stripes, I really like them, if you haven't checked them out. They are the Rolling Stones, you know, when they were, they're the Rolling Stones when they were 18, basically. But it's great. You know, I don't find a lot musically excites me, a lot of new stuff, but um, it's an exciting time to be BT, I think. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things on the on the... You know, in the next sort of five years, that are that are some life ticks for me in yeah. in business, and uh, and yeah, it's it's there's good things, there's good things rolling. So if say for example, you did find that band and they were you know rehearsing in a garage in Annandale, what would be your words of advice to them, considering how much the market has changed, how much the industry has changed, how much it's on the band to grow their own audience? What what would your advice be to any people in a band listening right now? Well, uh, I normally, I'm a, you know, I'm like rock and roll hot dog seller. I jump on once they've been manufactured to a degree. Uh-huh. So I don't really work with bands right from the beginning. But, you know, I'd just be telling them have a very good name, have excellent T-shirts um, and really own everything and be very passionate about what you do. Own everything, own your masters, own just your logo. Own, just own everything and, and just keep it all in-house until you can't manage anything yourself. And when you do, just let little bits out, find the right people to help you on your journey because, you know, it's like, it's like a band wanting to make a T-shirt. You know, when I started, they would all come to a merch company to get their T-shirts made. Because it was this mystery. How do you print a T-shirt? Oh, my God, we've got to go to these guys. They know how to do it. We've got this internet thing. Anything, come, anything's in that internet that you need. You don't need me. You know, you can find it all out. And then, you know, of course, you've got to have that right confidence. You've got to have the songs. You've got to have the skill. But you can learn. If you are open to listening, there is so much that you can just do yourself. It would, would be what I would tell people. Best band logo ever. Stone's tongue's hard to beat. Um, yeah, Stone's tongue. Was it like 72? Yeah, around there. Um, you know, the Ramones thing, the Ramones one I really like, but it's just been bastardised so much. It just kind of falls out a bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else. AC ACDC logo is pretty strong. And oh, Skyhooks! I love that Skyhooks logo. I can still hand draw that. It's great from fun. my time, from my very very young fan. Years. While we're talking about that, I'm, I can't thank you enough for that Malcolm T-shirt you made me. <laughs> it's Malcolm like the t-shirt. greatest. It's up there. It's like next to my Randy Rhodes tribute shirt is that Malcolm <laughs> shirt because it's in the it's in the font. People take a few seconds to get it, and once they get it, they go. Of course. <laughs> of course. Greatest left hand in rock and roll. There you go. For me, like as far as Stone's Tongue, I, yeah. Yeah. For me though, just the visual impact of what Iron Maiden did. Yeah. Those first, like, what was 83 from, mm-hmm. from Number of the Beast for the, those next couple of records, just with the logo and with Eddie, just that you didn't need to hear the album. Mm. You can see that and go, that's what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. And I remember being afraid. Mm-hmm. And there was something – you talked about not finding good music. I would love it if a band came along that made me scared, that made me afraid. Mm. I'm afraid sometimes when I hear some pop music because I'm like, really? That's, that's the best we've got? Yeah. But yeah. I remember when EIC came out with Body Count. Yeah, yeah. And it was like people shat their pants. Charlton Heston stepped up and said, that's it. Like people were frightened of this band. Yeah, I did all the merchandise for all those IST, early ISTs and body count tours. Yeah, it was kind of heavy. <laughs> it was kind of well, heavy. I loved it. That was people, it made people afraid. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're getting older or whatever, but I don't know if, we, if anything could shock us or, or make us Bro, afraid. Bro, we're, we're just as old as the people that went, ah, oh, you kids without music, that's, yeah. that's wrong. I haven't heard a record that's made me go, oh, that's wrong in a long, yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm 39. Yeah. I'm technically as old as I should have been to shake a fist. Yeah. So I was going to ask you who's the next BT, but clearly there isn't one. Well, I'd love there to be. Yeah. And I always, you know, I talk at some of those things and um, 
I always sort of... So those, those things I, you mean industry forums? Industry yeah. things and, uh, you know, I always say, hey, if, you wanna, if you're passionate, here's my email, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no one calls, you really? know. It's, I mean, you know, I don't really have jobs to give out, but I don't know that. There, I don't know if there is. I've given my nephew a job down with the merch company. We'll see what happens. But kids today, you know, they're a little slower. But um, I don't know. I I think that I had to pre-internet, pre-mobile phone, pre-fax. You just had to learn so much from your gut so early. I don't know that you can learn all that stuff so intimately and you, and your mind spreads so far these days with social media and the internet and this visual shit everywhere. You kind of can't concentrate to let those the basics in there, but um I don't know that I don't know. I, I hope there is at some point. I'd help them, but so you know. besides the obviously we've been talking a lot about the music industry but the kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for? techniques the kind of philosophies that you're talking about i think would cover a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of people who are thinking about starting their own thing or starting that i'm going to bust out and do this i like that i'm going to make my own what would you say to those people the just people? fucking do it just do it i mean you know you've got to pick one that hasn't been done or it's being done badly or that you know you yeah you can do it better you know, everything I've ever done, I've just done it. It's not too much research gone into any of them and just go with gut feel and you find out along the way if it's going to work or, or you're doing something wrong. But, you know, everyone's got ideas. Everyone's got ideas every day, but people don't act on them. You know, and, and thank, that's a good thing because most of them are probably crap. And, uh, but you just got to, if you gonna got this idea, go and do it. If you fuck up a few times, so what, you know? It'll come, you'll find out if you're any good pretty quickly, I would imagine. Are the problems you think about that may occur before you start a project ever as big as the actual problems that you actually come across when you've started a project? No, never, never. You know, and, that, and that's also being a little smarter and wiser, you know, you just learn that as you go. But just, just do stuff, do it. I vaguely remember there was a love police <laughs> motto. No, no, that was that when we uh, when we released the record. It was uh, yeah, I can't remember something like record it, press it, someone will buy it, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. I pretty much, that pretty much sums it up. Um, and they did. They did. Man, there's so many more things I would want to talk to you about. There was your radio show. Um, oh, the rat, my dream. Oh, your radio it was when I first moved to Bondi. That's how I heard your voice before I kind of really got to know who you were. And you were the only guy listening, probably. You were the man that introduced me to alt country in a really beautiful way. Ah, my date's here. All right. On the podcast. Stand by. Let me bring her up. Uh, come on up. Awesome. Um, I'm going bowling. All right. Like I'm wearing a snap button cowboy shirt that I bought in Texas uh -huh. partly because of watching you when I was a younger man going, I like that. I like what he's wearing. I played double bass <laughs> in a country band, you know? Well, there you go, buddy. Well, you just never know. There might be a uh, Love Police Western range out in your lifetime. You watch me wear that <laughs> like nothing on earth. I can't thank you enough for doing this, BT. You're a real inspiration to me, man. And thank you so much for sharing your story, which is uncommon. I think not for me personally, I don't know if enough Australians really take that kind of initiative and, and just do stuff like you've done. And I'm really grateful that you could share this. No problem, young man. You're More unreal. happy to be here and let the good people know. Next time we'll talk about what it's like to be a dad in the rock and roll oh, industry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love you, BT. Thank you. Thank you. There it is. That's BT. Find The Love Police on Twitter, at The Love Police, and uh, I'm sure you'll see him at a festival near you. So, yeah, buy the T-shirt. you like the band, buy the T-shirt. That's the way. That's the way. How fascinating is that scalper business? That is crazy, that stuff. Loved hearing Thank you for being a part of the show. If you like the show, please tweet out a link to the show. That would be the best thing you could do for me. Um, subscribe in iTunes. You can find me on Twitter. And uh, also, if you go to osherginsburg.com, there's a mailing list there that you can subscribe through. Um, 
boy, oh boy. I think I'm going to have to go to sleep, but I've got to post this. Okay, so I've got to do this, and then I've got to do that. All right, and I've got to write the thing. Oh, I hope I don't mess it up. What am, why? I'm just wasting your time now. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I love you. Talk to you next week. And good on you. Yeah, good on you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.